News. 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 New York City. The FAQ NYC podcast getting more and more interesting by the minute. FAQ. It's FAQ NYC. I'm Harry Siegel in Brooklyn with Professor Christina Greer. Elsewhere in Brooklyn, hello. Hello, hello. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. And in Manhattan, Alex Brooklyn. Well, hello. Hey. So the big, big thing happening right at this moment is all about vaccines and how few people here have been getting them and a certain level of panic about that. The mayor said in December that a million people would get vaccines in January. He since slightly retconned that to a million doses will be out in January, which means at least half a million people. Him and the governor have been going back and forth about who's to blame for the relatively slow pace of the rollout so far. Lots of other polls have gotten involved, often to dunk on the mayor, which is a very popular sport here, often with good reason. But of course, these same sorts of issues have been happening in cities and states across the country, which suggests that the, the fundamental issue here may not, in this instance, be their management or mismanagement thereof. Naturally, the two of them have been uh, feuding with each other for them on background. Like de Blasio, instead of saying bad stuff about Cuomo the governor, it just says the state. And the hope is that this will accelerate now, that the city says it's found a whole new number of uh, dedicated vaccine sites that it can use, and that we're going to have a true 24-7 rollout, get through the doses we have, and get more doses in through Health and Hospitals Corporation and elsewhere. We're going to see. And the backdrop is all this is happening, of course. We have the Merrill race, which we talk about almost every week on this show, and then tons of other races happening. So joining us to talk about those is somebody who's been following them closely, Jeff Colton of City and State, and uh, the guy behind their excellent campaign confidential newsletter to take us through all those other races. Let's jump right in. <laughs> Jeff, we want to go a bit past the mayor's race, uh, but before we jump in there, can you just give us a quick rundown of where things stand now and this fundraising threshold that's coming up and what it means. Oh, yes. I have been awaiting January 15th for six months, ever since the last fundraising deadline. This is the fundraising deadline that will tell us, uh, you know, basically where the race really stands. Because money is just so essential to the mayoral race, for better or for worse. Uh, right now, we know that Scott Stringer and Eric Adams already have a ton of money and have qualified for public matching funds. But the other, you know, 10 or 12 serious contenders in this contest, they are all still working to reach that matching fund threshold and to show that they are, you know, deserve to be considered top contenders. And uh, frankly, raising money is the way to do that. So uh, all will be revealed on January 15th. And the ones to watch really are Sean Donovan, Maya Wiley, Catherine Garcia, uh, whether they're going to bring in the money to be considered top contenders uh, with the, the Scott Stringers and the Eric Adamses of the world. And by the way, that's not to mention Ray McGuire, who uh, is not doing matching funds. He's the Wall Street guy who's just going to be bringing in tons and tons. I mean, who knows how much money he's going to bring in? It's going to be very interesting to see in that case. That was my question. Um, besides Ray, do you know of anyone else who will probably bypass uh, the matching funds so that they can just go straight to their Wall Street friends and get money that route? 
No, all the other candidates have uh, have opted in. Um, Andrew Yang, we still have yet to see, but I assume he will do matching funds. You know, his style in the presidential race was lots of low dollar donations. So I assume he'll follow that same playbook in the New York City mayor's race and try to do lots of low dollar donations, get the matching funds and, uh, you know, try and catch up to uh, the candidates that already have big head starts on him. Mm-hmm. And do we know the field at this point or is there still time for people to potentially join in less than six months out? I was just wondering about this with Christine Quinn. You know, I have not heard anything about Quinn in probably a month. I haven't heard any rumors about whether she's in, whether she's out for a little while. There was uh, a rumor she was considering running for controller instead. She's really the only name out there that has yet to uh, announce a decision whether she's running or not. And I have to assume at this point that she's not going to run, frankly. Time is running out. We have some Bernie Stringer parallels that you've been uh, tweeting about, Jeff. The new uh, Stringer logo with his glasses. Also, he's got Scarlett Johansson campaigning for him. Um, Ray McGuire, although he has, you know, Patrick Ewing, which it's a good season for the Knicks. The Knicks nostalgia. Who knows? Maybe he'll do well on that. Oh, celebrity. Spike Lee. Yeah, mayoral celebrity season is uh, is just starting, uh, and I, I'm sure it's going to get very big. Uh, you know, lots of candidates will be, you know, weighing in. I'm sure Steve Buscemi will say something, and, uh, you know, Alec Cynthia Baldwin, Nixon. I'm sure. Alec Baldwin, although you, maybe he wants to lay low for a little while with uh, the recent, uh, you know, well, hubbub around his say, wife. How do you say, uh, is it the campaign? Is, is that the word I'm looking for? <laughs> Alec Baldwin. I don't know how these American uh, campaigns work. It's, uh, his wife would most likely be so confused. I literally I did grow up in Spain as a kid, and it's just not, it's not a thing. It, girl, that should you're happen. so from Boston. I, you're from I Boston, know, girl. I know how to say cucumber, and I'm from New York. <laughs> I mean, there's like, and I, I legit live there, actually. I mean, but, you know. I mean, let's not go too far off right. the track, because, you know, I'm about to go down a deep Madonna, <laughs> Tina Turner rabbit hole. Like, what's up with all these women and these affected accents? Cut it out. Darling. Allow me to say that <laughs> this well, makes a perfect Bridgerton. Right. To come oh Lord, my Grace, my Grace, Jeff, Jeff, my Grace. Tell perfect us more. transition <laughs> to all the other races in New York. We haven't got to spend that much time on, in part because you think there's a lot of people running for mayor. There's roughly two million people running for city council seats, and another four hundred thousand running for Manhattan district attorney and uh, borough president. So, Jeff, you've been following this closely. I've been following it just closely enough to realize how much I don't know. Can you give just a uh, overview of all the other races on the ballot and uh, where things stand? What's interesting, what people should be watching, and what this is going to mean for the city? And Absolutely. while you're at it, just to add to your plate, since you're a Fordham grad and I know you can handle it, uh, can you tell us which races are ranked choice and which ones are not in doing so? Definitely, yeah. We will. We will start. Boom! Uh, Pop quiz up in here. Put that uh, RAM degree to work. <laughs> I just have to say, I, I have I have many regrets in life. Chief among them is that I never took your class at Fordham. Uh, you know, I just I, I should have. I should have. But now I get to learn from you on Twitter and on MSNBC and on FAQ NYC every week. So look below mayor. The next biggest race in the city is Manhattan District Attorney. Uh, this race is going to be getting national attention. Absolutely. I mean, remember how big the Queens district attorney race was? This is this is bigger. This is Manhattan. Uh, you know, Cy Vance, the current Manhattan district attorney, 
plays a very interesting role. He is uh, nationally considered to be a progressive prosecutor. But when you're talking from a New York City perspective among progressives, they consider him to be, you know, a total upper class sellout uh, who doesn't deserve to be called a progressive, let's just say. Uh, we can go deeper on that, but I'll just leave it there. Basically, of the eight candidates that are running for Manhattan District Attorney, probably about seven of them are running to the left of Cy Vance, saying they're going to be more progressive, they're going to change things up. So that's a very interesting race to watch. And that one is District Attorney. Technically, it's a state office. That means, number one, is not ranked choice. So Manhattanites will only be able to vote for one candidate. And that also means that there are much, much higher uh, fundraising limits and much higher contribution limits for the district attorney race. So I think the limit for that one is uh, $35,000 per person, uh, somewhere around there. So uh, that race is going to be bringing in big, big money from across the country. We saw the same thing in the Queens district attorney race where, you know, Tiffany Caban and Melinda Katz both brought in thousands of dollars from across the country. Definitely going to be the same thing in Manhattan, but even bigger because everything's bigger in Manhattan. The money, especially. Who are the front runners to watch? Oh, yeah. There's interesting candidates in this one, too. Like I said, there's eight candidates. Uh, a couple of the highlights uh, are Alvin Bragg. He's a former deputy attorney general. Uh, he's the only black candidate in the race. And uh, just a lot of good institutional connections. Uh, you know, one of those guys who says, look, I really know how to do the job. I'll step in day one, et cetera. He was endorsed by Preet, right? If I remember correctly, yes, I believe he is endorsed by Preet Bharara. So like I said, he's got those really good institutional connections. And he has been running also for like two years. I mean, he, he just had a big head start on the other candidates. So his, you know, maybe name rec is higher, more money, that sort of thing. Uh, but there's lots of interesting candidates. Uh, there's Tahani Abushi, who is actually a uh, hijabi Muslim woman who is running for the seat. She uh, runs a uh, defense firm, but she's running on a very progressive platform. She was endorsed by already like Cynthia Nixon and uh, Sean King, the somewhat controversial uh, Yeah, I was like, do you activist. want that endorsement? <laughs> <laughs> she accepted it. So, well, okay. we'll so, you know, I'm sure he'll be in the news a lot as the way he, you know, really got a role in the Queens District Attorney race. But uh, that's Tahani Abushi. You've also got uh, the one public defender in the race, Eliza Orleans. She is personal friends with Tiffany Caban. She's uh, talking about that. And she's also fascinating because she was a two-time competitor on Survivor, the reality show. And, uh, you know, Survivor just hit Netflix. I have a lot of friends who have been watching it lately. And uh, now Eliza Orleans is kind of getting some attention from her. I mean, she did that 10, 15 years ago or something. But uh, now it's helping her district attorney run. And on top of that, there's also Lucy Lang. She's kind of the candidate that's very close to Cy Vance. At least that's what her opponents say. She worked closely with Vance before, and she's the one that uh, may more or less kind of continue his legacy. So that's just four of the eight. I mean, it's a really crowded field, and it's a lot of uh, a lot of qualified people, to be honest. So Cy Vance hasn't said yet whether or not he's running, and he pretty clearly isn't. He hasn't raised money, but it's been sort of a weird silence. That's not a, a normal thing for a, a sitting district attorney to do. There's also this lingering question of what happens to the Trump investigation he apparently has going and uh, that could matter a lot once Trump leaves office. Are the candidates talking about how they might pick that up, assuming that Vance is no longer the DA as everyone is? Yeah, Donald Trump is casting a shadow over this race in many ways. I mean, 
Right. Cy Vance, uh, I mentioned that the progressives locally don't like him, but uh, he's kind of a national hope to the resistance uh, of against Trump. You know, people, there's probably a million people, or sorry, there's probably a hundred million Americans who desperately want Trump to be charged with a crime. Cy Vance uh, is kind of a hope there. You know, he's, uh, him and the Manhattan District Attorney's Office are reportedly investigating Trump right now for some financial dealings. So we'll see where that goes. Interestingly, though, from what I've been following in the Manhattan District Attorney's race, most of them aren't really talking about Trump and what they would do with Trump. Uh, most of them are simply talking about how they would deal with, uh, you know, low-level crimes and uh, the, the racism of the criminal justice system and dealing with, uh, you know, wage theft. It's just – it seems like it's a much more locally focused issues rather than, you know, the, the great big bad of, of dealing with Trump. Jeff, do you think that will change though after January 20th when Trump is, is a citizen? Do you think that the candidates will shift just a little bit and try and do both local issues and also I'm the person to prosecute Trump on the Manhattan issues along with uh, Tish on the New York State issues? Right. There are so many questions to be answered with this Trump investigation. And I think we will learn a lot more soon after Trump is out of office and doesn't have the uh, the protections of the White House around him. Uh, there's also rumors that that's why Cy Vance hasn't said whether or not he is running. Either it's because he actually hasn't decided yet and maybe his decision will depend on how this Trump investigation goes. Or there's also a theory that, uh, you know, look, Vance is not going to run for re-election. He just doesn't want to say that because then Donald Trump would be able to like tweet about it and be like, you know, I pushed Vance out of office or some lie, you know. So, um, yes, I think that uh, the Manhattan District Attorney's race will end up talking more about Donald Trump after he's out of office and becomes a private citizen like the rest of us that uh, could be prosecuted. But uh, there's just still so many questions that we don't know the answer to because the investigation is apparently still ongoing. I wonder about Dan Court because last year and the year before, 2018, he was really, really involved in defund the vice squad, especially after the Queen's sex worker committed suicide. There was huge rally in Albany. And he's been on that for quite a while. And I wonder if he's going to grab up some of the more progressive endorsements, Yulin, Jessica Ramos, and a couple of the other people that are invested in that low-level crime, the walking wild trans repeal, that kind of stuff. I haven't heard anything about him being endorsed by progressives, but I'm just curious what you see on the horizon for a candidate like that who seems to be kind of on the low end of name recognition but pretty big locally. Yeah, yeah. Assemblymember Dan Cord is another interesting candidate in the race. He also has been running for a very long time. I think he announced he would run for DA three years ago or something, uh, intending to challenge Cy Vance's reelection, which now seems like will not be part of that. But uh, yeah, Dan Court does have a lot of fans in the progressive criminal justice reform movement. It's interesting. He is a you know straight white male from the Upper East Side who uh, has a pretty standard law job on the side. I think he does uh, you know various torts or something like that. And yet in the assembly, he has earned quite a reputation for, yeah, being on the, the right side of these progressive criminal justice issues. Uh, you mentioned endorsements. Uh, there actually haven't been many endorsements in this race yet. It's been very slow to come. And I think 
a lot of the progressives especially are waiting to see if one of the many progressive prosecutor candidates kind of rises above the rest and uh, becomes, quote unquote, the Tiffany Caban of this race before uh, many are choosing to endorse. And we're going to get to Tiffany Caban because she is running. But uh, can you take a minute to take us through in one deep breath the borough president's races? And, which I forgot to mention in the intro, uh, there's so much going on here, the crowded field for Comptroller. Okay, okay, deep breath. (laughs) Do it, you can do it. Below Manhattan District Attorney, in terms of importance, let's be honest, is New York City Comptroller. Citywide position, it's big, you know, they are the uh, the quote-unquote accountant for the city, and it's going to be an interesting race. Uh, We're talking City Councilman Brad Lander, one of the uh, real progressive brain trusts of the uh, City Council, is running for Comptroller. He's kind of got the progressive lane. And then you have uh, State Senator Brian Benjamin, who's also running. He's got uh, the more kind of I have experience lane. He actually had a career in finance before this. He's also got a lot of endorsements from Harlem and and from black leaders. And babies. He's got babies giving him support. And the story that just (laughs) dropped Clifford Michelle in the city, it is a fascinating story. Uh, basically, uh, this just dropped last night. He There's a story in the city that's accusing State Senator Brian Benjamin, who's running for controller, of uh, accepting uh, straw donors, having like 25 donors or something that did not know that they donated to Benjamin's controller campaign, including a two-year-old. A, a two-year-old somehow donated to Benjamin's campaign. This happened like a year or more ago, and apparently nobody caught it until now, which is just really, frankly, a bad sign for the campaign. Who knows where this will go? Uh, It might blow over. Maybe Benjamin will avoid it. But this is like the exact situation that totally sunk John Liu's mayoral campaign in 2013. Two of his uh, campaign staffers ended up going to prison over a straw donor scandal. Uh, Liu himself avoided all culpability. So Benjamin might get lucky in that way. But uh, Really a bad start to the campaign there and definitely something that I'll be watching as it moves forward. I'm always curious as to like when these things come out and the time and the timing. So whether or not by June 22nd, will anyone care? Or if it's, you know, some of the issues that Lou had, which was if you're in charge of the money, you can't have money issues. Um, But then some of the stories that came out back in the day where John Lou essentially said, you know, I feel like I was targeted because I'm a candidate of color in ways that white male candidates aren't targeted or investigated in the same ways. So I'm, I'm really curious as to how the next few months in the framing, not just by the press, but also by Brian Benjamin, sort of presents itself. Whether yeah, definitely. Whether he wants to make it an issue like, okay, well, if we're going to look through the books, let's look through everyone's books and all the books. Or do you want this just to go away? You can focus on campaigning about why you're qualified to do the job. Because right now it seems as though it's, Brian Benjamin and Brad Lander as the front runners. Am I correct? Or, you know, I know Kevin Parker's in it and, you know, someone else I'm blanking on. Yeah, there's also Kevin Parker, another state senator, and Assemblymember David Weprin, a longtime Queens Assemblymember who's also running for comptroller. I would say that Lander and Benjamin were the two leading candidates, certainly, uh, at least up until this point. Uh, But we'll see, yeah, what happens with this alleged straw donor scandal. But Mm -hmm. as you mentioned, uh, Brian Benjamin is the leading black candidate in the race. And uh, Lander and Weprin, both white candidates. 
And it just it raises a lot of questions, yes, about where the story came from and, you know, whether it's being handled evenly, fairly. Hmm. Borough presidents. Beep, beep. Oh, of course. <laughs> borough president races. Uh, let's see. We have four borough president races that are up for grabs. Uh, that's not including Donovan Richards, who was just elected Queensboro president and actually is going to have a you know moderately serious challenge from uh, city council member Jimmy Van Bramer in Queens. But uh, that's a sideshow. We're talking open seats in the Bronx, Manhattan, Staten Island, and Brooklyn. Uh, we've got pretty busy races in all of them. Uh, Manhattan is pretty interesting. You know, you've got uh, city council member Mark Levine versus state senator Brad Hoyleman versus city council member Ben Kalos versus Lindsey Boylan, who just ran for Congress against Jerry Nadler and got uh, quite a bit of attention for uh, accusing Governor Andrew Cuomo of uh, both workplace harassment and sexual harassment. And uh, that's just in Manhattan. Like I said, there's three other uh, open seats for borough presidents. Uh, these races haven't been getting too much attention yet because, let's be honest, borough president, uh, it's really more of a ceremonial position than uh, anything of extreme power. But as we know, it's really a stepping stone and borough presidents often end up in other places. So there, there's Eric Adams running for mayor. I have a very fond memory of Marty Markowitz when he was borough president visiting a public school, an elementary school where I was doing a reading to kids, right? It was Everyone Reads Stories Day. And the kids were so excited because they're like, the president is coming. The president is coming. And Marty comes in and does his whole Marty thing, which uh, if you know it, you know it. And he leaves and the door is still open and the kids start saying, that's the president? He doesn't smell good. He's very loud and annoying. And the teacher's <laughs> trying not to bust out laughing. It was just fantastic. But uh, yeah, you're the president, right? And and people love borough presidents generally. I mean, it's a very popular position. You know, Jimmy Otto, Gail Brewer, we're talking about some of the most beloved politicians in the city. So it's a Scroll good job around to your have. borough, give out some money. Don't don't have to worry about too much. It's it's a vestigial position, right? Because we had this board of estimate that had real power. And the borough presidents meant something. That went away. There were a whole series of interesting things happened. And while we're plugging your newsletter on campaigns, by the way, Gail Brewer's newsletter is so good. I only learned about it. I think Rachel Holiday Smith uh, tweeted about it today. It is, if you can subscribe to it, you should. Oh, I, I've been on her list for a minute. It's great. It's very, and it's, it has a lot of great information for uh, residents. Gail Brewer so, is a star Gail, public servant. Oh, yeah. And she'll be going – she's running for city council, yeah? She is running for city council. She is uh, one of those rare politicians who is attempting to take uh, a quote-unquote step down from borough president to uh, just a rank-and-file city council member on the Upper West Side reclaiming her old seat. Uh, she's going to have a serious challenge, but look, Gail Brewer is really popular. She'll probably win. Well, I mean, when I think of Gail Brewer, I do think of a public servant, like – I just think that she's one of these people. I've never been to an event where Gail Brewer did not show up. And not in the sort of like, I'm a politician, I have to show up. I mean, she legit knows someone there, stays, eats a little something, and then rolls out. I mean, I was literally like sitting Shiva once. And I was like, Gail, <laughs> what are you doing here? So I, I think she's one of those people that like, this is, this is what she does and what she's interested in. And it seems to work out. I'm curious, though, in this political moment, if people will say like, listen, it's time for you to step aside and give someone else a shot to become a public servant the way you have over these past few years, because that's the only way that the baton gets passed legitimately when, when 
true public servants to realize that it's time for someone else. Very much so. And that's actually one of the storylines I'm going to be paying attention to uh, with the new city council coming in in 2021. I mean, we've got, you know, all 51 seats are up for election. Um, On one hand, there's, uh, gosh, I think six or seven former city council members who are trying to run again and, and, you know, win back their old seats. Gail Brewer is one of them, uh, but also uh, James Gennaro and Charles Barron and Tony Avella and uh, Sal Albanese on Staten Island, number of uh, city council members trying to reclaim old seats. Uh, And another aspect I'm looking at is age. There are so many young candidates that are running. Right now, look, I don't have the number in front of me, but the average age on the city council is probably somewhere around 50. I don't know. Uh, Based on all the candidates, it looks like the average age could drop down to like 35 or something crazy. I'm sure in reality, there's going to be a lot of, you know, older, more established uh, politicians who end up winning. But uh, it will be very interesting to see if there's an influx of youth on the council. So it's 35, I believe, open seats out of 51 council seats. So everyone's running. But because of term limits, most of the people who are there are going to be gone. Uh, The city council speaker, Corey Johnson, will also be gone. And so you have this question of who's going to represent individual districts, but then there's also a question of who's going to uh, be the speaker, who's going to lead the council, and who's going to make that decision given all these departures and where that remaining power is. Uh, Traditionally, this has been different combinations of uh, borough bosses, but uh, those positions have also been practically diminished in power. So it seems like you have you have the DSA involved aggressively in some of these races, and they've shown with with Caban, for instance, that they can play even borough wide. How do you see this playing out? How are candidates going to distinguish themselves when you have five, six, seven, eight, nine people running for each of these seats? And how would, how does power sort of sort of realign afterward in this? An interesting way, first test in, in a very long time of our present term limits because of how Bloomberg sort of temporarily blew that system up with his extra four years for everyone. Right. This is going to be the most uh, refreshed city council in years and years. Uh, at most, we're going to have 12 returning city council members. And, you know, in practice, I don't think all 12 that are attempting to run for re-election are going to win. So it's going to be mostly brand new city council members, probably uh, around, you know, 40, 42 brand new city council members. Who, who are the and, most endangered of the dozen before you go on? Sure. The most endangered would definitely be uh, Mark Joni in the Bronx. He's facing a serious contender, uh, Marjorie Velazquez, who came close to beating him in 2017. And uh, also looking at Bob Holden in central Queens, he is running against Juan Ardilla, who is also, uh, I guess I should say, Joni and Holden are both quite moderate in fact, Holden was on the ballot as a Republican last time around. So both of those candidates are uh, hoping to be ousted by candidates running to their left. And uh, they're already getting a lot of support from the more progressive sides of the city. So those two I'm watching, they are definitely in danger of reelection. Most other candidates that uh, are running for reelection should pretty easily uh, step right in. You haven't mentioned public advocate. I mean, I, I get fundraising emails uh, from Jumani. You know, he's clearly taking the the race very seriously. Does he have any competition, legitimate competition that he should, you know, pay attention to? 
No, at this point, uh, Jumani Williams uh, will probably stroll right into his uh, first full term as public advocate. Which is crazy because it feels like he's run for this office like 12 different times. I'm like, God. Get the you job know, or not. I, I don't think any politician, you know, deserves a break. But honestly, maybe Giuliani deserves, deserves a break. A full on, like state sponsored vacation because this will be his third election for the seat, right? And it'll be his first. Well, full he. I mean, term. if you're also including, you know, he was uh, running pretty hard for speaker back in 2017, and then he ran for lieutenant governor in 2018, and then 2019 he jumped straight into public advocate, which he had to run for uh, three times. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, he's been he's been busy. Uh, I think 2021 is going to be easy for him. Jumani Williams will almost definitely continue to be public advocate. But, you know, let's uh, I'm focused on the 2021 races right now. Campaign confidential about 2021. But 2022, Jumani has kind of been, uh, you know, dropping some uh, some crumbs, uh, suggesting that he might uh, run again for lieutenant governor, maybe even run for governor, try and challenge Cuomo. We'll see. Mm. You got this game of musical chairs, which is in hyperdrive right now. And this outstanding question it is too early to get into about who who will be the uh, the council speaker. And interestingly, if that'll be a first term member who could be there for eight years or a second term member who only gets four. But with Jumani, if he wants it, right, and there was talk about him entering this marrow field and he didn't do that, he sort of – he now has eight years if he'd like functionally to have to run for reelection. But, you know, when you're an incumbent Democrat and the competent popular guy, come on. Um, eight years to pick his spot, which is a real luxury at a moment when everyone else is frantically trying to find positions. In a way, by the way, that's a reminder that these are public servants, some of them, but these are also nice gigs. Uh, the council pays pretty well. You have a staff and people who do stuff stuff you want. Um, and and uh, th- th- there's some real power there, although how much of that goes to individual members is always one really interesting question. And uh, that might get hashed out again in the speaker's race when we get to that point. You know, in the last couple of them, people have had to make real concessions to give members more power in order to uh, claim the uh, speakership. And that shifted how that body has worked, I think. Definitely. And and yes, I mean, individual city council seats are very interesting. But uh, as you say, if you're talking about power in the city, if you're talking about, uh, you know, who wields uh, the money and the laws, so much power is vested in the city council speaker. Uh, we see Corey Johnson being, you know, one of the real powerful folks in the city right now. So who will succeed him uh, starting in 2022 as speaker is is a huge question. And as we were alluding to before, yeah, there are so many new city council members coming in. And so uh, anybody who wants to be speaker is going to have to really win over all, you know, 40 odd new city council members, both within the council and then also all of these outside all of these outside players the labor unions and the political bosses yeah you're right the political bosses have certainly lost power over the last decades really but uh, you know Rodney's Bishop in Brooklyn Greg Meeks in Queens uh, Jamal Bailey in the Bronx uh, they all certainly want to play a role in the speaker's race. They all will openly say, oh, yeah, I would I would definitely want to play a role in picking the next speaker. How much of a say they'll have depends on how many, you know, borough-backed candidates end up winning these city council seats or whether the council is more dominated by uh, these anti-establishment progressives that we see so many running. It's so funny because I remember moderating an event for the speaker's race in 2017 and Richie Torres 
was, you know, throwing his hat in the ring and in the shadow of Corey in a lot of ways. And now he's in Washington, D.C. Carnegie is running for Brooklyn Borough President. So to Harry's point, there's always a, a race to run in. You can think about people who run for the presidency and now they've got nothing else to do. And so now they're going to run for mayor. So it seems like there's always something to do if you don't want to just be a public servant. Definitely. Def- I mean, look, city council is a good gig. Like we talked about, there's a reason why so many uh, state senators and assembly members uh, actually decide that, uh, you know, you know what? I think I would rather work in the city council. You don't have to drive up to Albany all the time. Uh, yeah, you it's get more money pay. and less commute. Right. Exactly. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> And, uh, the only, I think the only drawback is that there are term limits, but the, I think this is why we're going to start seeing more musical chairs where people who have overlapping districts will sort of, you know, you're in for two terms and then I, I tap in. I mean, it's, it's sort of like gorgeous ladies of wrestling. Like we just tap each other in and out. Um, you know, sometimes it'll be spouses. Other times it'll just be, you know, folks who are friends. I mean, we've seen it in Harlem. We're seeing it in Brooklyn. Uh, I think that's my my only concern because that sort of, shuts off a door for new folks to to have uh, a fair shake to come in because we know the incumbency advantage is real. Even if you are doing a great job, which I think some people are taking the job seriously, it still cuts off a new, vital, important, not even young people, just other folks who want to serve the city. New voices. Jeff, so we've got to close here. So I want you to, uh, this may not be your bag, but I want you to inhale deeply and tell us big picture, man, like what we should all be watching between now in June and now in November as all of this progresses. And um, in some ways, you know, the next 10 years, the direction of the city gets decided. I am not ready to think about November. I mean, oh my goodness, look, I am totally focused on June. It's the Democratic primary. Uh, Whoever wins the Democratic primary, 99 times out of 100, is uh, going to be the next mayor of New York City. And even with this, hold on, Jeff, even with this hyper long made and waiting period, like I could see that holds in September when we had the primary in September, but if someone loses in June, I mean, that that gives them almost six full months to continue their campaign and, and run against the presumed Democratic nominee. Maybe I'm being naive. Maybe maybe I just think that these Democrats are going to be team players. Maybe not. Maybe we're going to see a serious third party campaign uh, going into November. And I guess really, depending on who wins the Democratic primary, uh, there would be some candidates who I think would, you know, have the at least some money and some support interested in doing such a thing. I mean, the Republican brand in New York City is toxic, but uh, the independent brand, maybe not so much. Yeah. I mean, I I think just dabbling in gender politics as I do, I would be, I'd make some side wagers if a female candidate won the Democratic primary that we would see a man run on an independent ticket. I just, the types of men that run for office aren't ones that, would sort of have six months of of looking at a female Democratic nominee and thinking to themselves like, oh, wow, I'll just sit this out because it's what the people have said. I can't see them doing, I can't see any of them doing that. So that's my, that's my, my $5 bet. Yeah. So I mean, I'll, June. I'll be, if this were September, I don't think I'd say that, but it's a June primary. I'll be specific. I'll say that I'm definitely watching 
Ray McGuire in that uh, in that lane. Uh, you know, right now he and his campaign are saying, no, no, I'm a loyal Democrat. I've always voted for Democrats, et cetera. But uh, look, let's be honest. He, he worked for Capital uh, for Citibank. He's a Wall Street guy. He has a lot of support from the business community. And if he doesn't win the Democratic primary and then if a more progressive candidate, for example, if Scott Stringer wins the Democratic primary, there's going to be a lot of pressure on McGuire to stay in the race and uh, right. and try and win in November. I right. see Yang doing it too. Of course. Well, Yang yeah. doesn't know what he doesn't know. And that goes same for McGuire. I mean, that's part of the problem. I, I think McGuire represents interests that are so much greater than him and the vast majority of New Yorkers. They they will make sure that he stays in because they need to protect their interests and make sure they go across the finish line in November. Which Mayor is, you know. of the Hamptons. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like I don't need Black Bloomberg. Like I don't not in this moment in time, right? And I don't need someone who looks like me to do the bidding of Wall Street either. I mean, Yang's made in the image of Bloomberg and what has like a ton of uh, Bloomberg, um, what are they called? The consortiums? No. Uh, so he, I could see him consultants. doing Consultants. Bloom- consultants, right. Not consortiums. Yeah. And I could see him do, I mean, Bloomberg was re- ran on a Republican ticket. I mean, Yang can follow in the footsteps of nonpartisanism or whatever Bloomberg was spouting off back then when yeah. all our well, hospitals. Yang closed. might want to get like the, the sort of cliff notes of what is New York City. Because he's going to walk into 1,000... You know, when we were kids, everything was quicksand. Like, you thought that you were going to die by quicksand. Like, (laughs) I don't know why. Every movie was like, oh, my God. (laughs) Like, avoid quicksand. But the thing is, Yang doesn't understand. New York City is quicksand. And he doesn't... He literally has no idea what he doesn't know, which is volumes. So if he is going to go that route, I suggest he spend some time uh, reading... And talking to to folks who actually know this city, because this ain't Iowa, and it's sure as hell not New Hampshire. I've got to cut us off right there. I've got to cut us off right there. I will just say, snip, snip. Yang right. Yang <laughs> is going to get cut off a whole lot of different ways. If you know what I'm saying here, I do. <laughs> the funny thing is, he does it. <laughs> I mean, I think all I know the what New York listeners saying, know exactly really what you're saying. saying. He doesn't know what you're saying. That's the problem. That is the problem. So, yeah. Professor, I think you should invite uh, Andrew Yang to audit one of your classes, you know, learn a little bit about city politics, and then maybe he can give it a run in uh Well, you know what? 2025. You should have taken my course on racial politics, because that would have helped him out a lot more than the city politics. Class. Like, take my racial politics class. That'll help you with the urban politics class. The problem is, you know, you can't roll up in New York talking about good immigrants versus bad immigrants. That's one. You can't talk about I'm Asian and I'm good at things because that implies that others aren't. That's two. And snip, snip, <laughs> you can't talk about things you know nothing about. Like, if we're still at war over horse carriages, I don't really think that other issues dealing with people's children are going to be that much easier. And trust and believe, I don't want him anywhere near New York City's public school children, because if you have the philosophy that you're Asian and you're good at things, then that means Blacks and Latinas aren't. So beat it. Scram. No. All right, uh-uh. I'm cutting it off there. <laughs> Cut it snip, off. Snip, snip. <laughs> Jeff, thank you so much for uh, for joining us. This is a ton to go through. we got to keep this conversation going between now and June. And uh, then we're going to see what happens between June and November. But in, in all cases, much appreciated. Everyone should, of course, sign up if they are not already. The Campaign Confidential, and uh, we, we will talk more. Thank you. 
I am a longtime listener of FAQ NYC ever since episode one. So I'm really excited to be uh, to be joining you guys and uh, getting to talk about uh, the races. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Jeff. Go Rams. FAQ. FAQ NYC is a production of Racket Media and a proud member of the Brickhouse Cooperative of Independent Journalists and Artists. We're headquartered at NYU's McSilver Institute for Poverty Policy and Research. We recorded this week from the boroughs of Brooklyn and Manhattan. A special thank you to our guest, Jeff Colton of City and State. Our executive producers, Alex Brooklyn and Adam Kamara, mixed and edited this episode. Be safe, be good, be well. We'll see you next week and Happy New Year. Well, was it, was that a circumcision joke? What was all the snip snip business? Yeah. Yes, it was a Jew Jewish. He doesn't know about the Jews in New York. Yang oh. made a big thing about circumcision right before he announced for president. That's been <laughs> a big issue in New York mayoral politics because of a healthcare fight going back to Bloomberg, herpes, the Orthodox right. Jews, and Moils and circumcision rituals. So that was me just joking without wanting to get into that shit because it's actually complicated. Right. And the point is, Yang doesn't know what he doesn't know. He has no idea that it's really complicated and it's it's not something that's like, oh, I don't believe in circumcision. It's like, uh, no, <laughs> that's not I, actually what you can do. I feel like we should take that chunk and put it after the outro, what Harry just said. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Sorry, I wasn't recording. I'm hitting record right now. Damn it. Um, <laughs>